As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. The uh, going from two games to three games felt like I, I added you know three miles to my run. I'm Even exhausted. Though we we went a whole season, same times every game. The 10 a.m. game, you know, about 105. Well, it was like 150 for me, like because they pushed that <laughs> Vikings Giants game back. Because I, holy crap, that first game took so long. And then like there's only three games at the normal three time slots, and I felt like it just it was a marathon all day. And I mean that complimentary. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean that in a good way, in a great way. It was yes. just uh, beating you over the head the entire day in a great way. All it was day. such a good time. I was loving the Giants Vikings game. I had a smile yep. on my face like the entire time this game was so much closer than we thought the fact that we got a good game in the first window the difference is that even if the amount of time you're watching games is the same in that early slot for me what is the noon slot during the regular season Mm -hmm. you can kind of check out in moments where it's like oh you know i'll go get a drink or i'll go to the bathroom and like there's so many games going on i can't watch them all anyway but when every single play matters so much you're just locked in for yep Ten and a half hours, and that's exactly what it was. And when the games run right into each other, and yes. in some cases with the Miami Buffalo game, they bleed into the second game. It was just nonstop all day today, in the best possible way. I mean, you can't yeah. ask for anything more from a day of playoff games. Two of which were like double-digit spreads yes. coming into the game. Yes, the backup quarterback games ended up being really, really close games, and it was awesome. I mean, the first game it was seventeen three with the Bills, and I was like, okay, all right, okay, start cleaning the kitchen a yep. little bit. All right, keep that game on the TV. All right, yep, okay, all right. Well, this this is staying close. And my wife's asking me. She goes, "Who's the Bills are better?" Right? I'm like, "Oh yeah, they, they were two <laughs> touchdown favorites." She even knew what that meant, and and but. I was like, they're gonna, they're probably pulling ahead, but no, the game stayed close. I was watching every snap, every series, and it was just things happened. That that's what the today was. Things happened today. It wasn't just like doldrum drives. They never stopped happening. Never stopped happening. There was not a quarter or a drive that just got boring, which is just awesome. That's what you want. That's why it's the wild card. It's it's much. Usually we the the divisional round kind of has a lot of juice to it, but this one, hey, we had some great juice starting with last night, entering into today. 
Let's start with the game that we just watched. I think we have to talk about two things first and foremost. I don't understand what they were doing at the end, the Ravens, with the clock management. The completion to J.K. Dobbins, I believe he caught the ball with like a minute and nine seconds left. Mm -hmm. They had two timeouts. They let 35 seconds take off the clock. And I assume they were trying to make sure they ran it all the way down. But then you're left with one play on that fourth and 20 with eight seconds left to try to win the game. Prochet almost catches that ball, which would have added an entire layer of insanity to what we've watched over the last two days. But leaving yourself with that little time when you have two timeouts, and I think that they went home with one, that was really strange to watch, especially from somebody in John Harbaugh, who I think usually does a pretty good job managing the game. Yeah, that's kind of his part, part of his shtick, his, yes. uh, his game management, the clock management. So that's it even surprised me, even when we were pre-show. I was like, I kind of like just let it go aside and then realize that when you're looking at the play-by-play, just how much time's burned. The fact that they kept the timeout is all you need to know, especially in that type of situation. And then you end up going for it on fourth and 20, you know, trying to heave it uh, like for the end zone. You're basically doing a Hail Mary inside field goal range. That's not not usually where you want to be taking a Hail Mary. We want like a realistic shot inside, inside the 10-yard line for your game winner. But that, I mean, they, the Ravens fought their asses off, and that's why they couldn't take penalties like that rough in the punter. Um, and they can't take have mistakes like this, and they can't obviously can't have that QB sneak botch, which we'll talk about in a minute. But that when you're, it's a game of inches always. But when you're the underdog, a double digit underdog, playing your backup quarterback, banged up backup quarterback, you can't have those mistakes. Everything else has to be you know efficient and perfect. The defense played pretty hard. It had some good moments, but that's came up short for the Ravens, and that's what happens when you don't have that room for error. Obviously, the biggest game swinging play of the entire day of the playoffs so far is what happened on that quarterback sneak. You go, it's a 14 point swing in a matter of half yeah. a second. And you just have to know in that situation, you're a full you yard. To. You're a full yard, maybe even a little bit a yard and change. Just yeah. sneak it in. Yeah. You got two guys coming behind you. Think about the effectiveness of quarterback sneaks when designed properly this season and you have the little bush push behind people. The. <laughs> The conversion rate has to be astronomical. Just yeah, uh, there a lot of Just people do it three times in a row. Uh, yes, a lot of teams and a lot of people have gotten a little loose with the ball around the goal line recently. Even I mean, Justin Jefferson tried to reach for the pile on today. Yep. a lot of moments where it's a dicey proposition in in those huge leverage spots, and it truly swung the Ravens' season potentially. It was a fourteen point swing in a playoff game, deep into a playoff game that they probably shouldn't have been sticking around it. Right. And again, it was a great drive that led to that moment too. And that's yeah. when it's like, oh my God, you can just feel the air come out. But I mean Huntley can't he's gotta know you're you know, you're six listed six one, two hundred and four pounds. So, you know, probably six foot, probably one ninety five. I don't think going over the top and some people I, I tweeted about this and some people were like, Well, what about Drew Brees? And then Seth Galina had a cut up of Drew Brees doing the quick jump over because he was so good at it. If you look on all those Saints clips, it's like fourth and an inch. Yes. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like barely any because then it's just a quick get over. He's at like he's taken off from like the three. Like Michael Jordan and Space Jam taking off from half half court. Like he, he's yeah, going, like Josh actually, Allen did against the Bills. But the, the yes. Josh Allen's Josh Allen with a running head start. It's six five, two forty five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then that, that's the other thing. He looked like Sim, uh, you know, holding up Simba. He was holding the football Rafiki. over the line. I thought that yeah, Rafiki holding it over the line. And no, the, the I'm trying to remember who the Bengals defender was. Was it Lo- was, Logan Wilson it was. caused the fumble? It was Logan Wilson. Yeah. And he was like Logan Wilson almost like grabbed it from him. He was like, Okay, thank you. Like <laughs> just handing it off. Um so it was It's like in the water boy where that. he throws it right to him. 
Thanks. Yeah. That's exactly, <laughs> That's exactly what it felt like. <laughs> it did. I mean, I know Logan Wilson's like, okay, all right, thank you. Yeah, I know. So uh, yeah, you can't, you just can't have those moments. And that's when sometimes you remember, it's like, oh yeah, you're a backup. You know, it's like, there's just those positive moments of him running around, but then being a quarterback is not just the tools. It's just sometimes just being a quarterback and understanding game management. That's sometimes the difference between starters and backups. I thought the Ravens did a really good job of executing a plan that would keep you in it, shortening the game. There were 16 possessions in the first half of Bill's Dolphins. There were six possessions in the first half of Ravens Bengals. <laughs> there were sixteen. Sixteen in the, fir- <laughs> in the first half of Bills Dolphins. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, the Ravens bled ten and a half minutes off of the clock on that. Yep. I think it was a fourteen play drive where they went down and scored, and that's exactly what you needed to do. And I thought on the other side of the ball, along with controlling the clock, being able to run the ball a little bit, making some spectacular plays down the field when they needed mm-hmm. to. The Marcus Robinson touchdown, obviously, the contested Mark Andrews catch. They got those yep. the plays that they needed. On defense, their plan seemed to be, we're going to keep everything in front of us this entire game yep. no matter what. You are not yep. going to push the ball down the field. And that's what happened. I mean, Joe Burrow in this game, I believe, completed like 20-something passes, and he finished with just over 200 yards passing. Joe Burrow, yep. 23 of 32 for 205 in this game. I mean, that's less than 10 yards per completion. Jamar Chase had nine catches Mm -hmm. for 84 yards. T. Higgins had four catches for 37 yards. It's not T. Higgins' game. And that's exactly what they did to them all night. And I was a little bit concerned with that early on because they were getting a lot of those easy completions underneath. And I actually thought Burrow played really, really well when you consider the offensive line injuries and the way he had to get the ball out. So I, I thought, man, are they just going to be able to give them too much underneath and they're going to be able to keep chipping away at it? But when you have to string those drives together and your pass protection is wanting because you were missing two starters and then your left tackle goes out at one point during the game, there's enough kind of cracks in the foundation where that necessity to sustain drives the entire game becomes difficult to do. Right, exactly. And I mean, I mean, Burrow, how many tackles did he make miss? Uh, a oh my dozen? God, yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, and he's, I mean, he does that all the time, but just in this game and the Ravens did a nice job with their pass rush and, and just trying to stay disciplined at all that and, and making them work for it. And like you're saying, making everything underneath, they try to make it hard and they said, Hey, we will get some big plays up front. We'll game you up up front. They're running so many twists and games. First drive, Calais Campbell switch gaps that he started Did in multiple they, was, times in this yeah. game. And I think that they and were that, using that as they, they saw something where they felt that could be a part of their game plan. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is when, uh, when you're pass protection, uh, you work at those games, all the twists and stunts. It's just like a blitz path because the offensive line has to communicate it. Well, that's one way without blitzing is to make the offensive line communicate and make sure they're all good, especially with a bunch of backups in there. And you know, there's, there's just stuff like little tweaks. They showed hinted at this last week, the Ravens. And that's why, you know, there's some people this past week kind of watching. It's like, hey, the Ravens defense did some stuff, and they did again in this game. But they're running like spot drop, uh, three buzz, where the safety comes in and essentially double team chase at times. They were bracketing chase every time he was in the slot. They they were running a quarters variation, but they're inside bracketing it where they had two guys on him. So they again they were onto their uh, tendencies, which the Bengals have done such a good job of, you know, kind of dropping and, and changing up throughout the season. But the Ravens just made it tough. It's a divisional opponent. They got them dialed in. That's not their first time playing them, obviously, this year. They played them twice in two weeks. So, yeah, they made it tough. But, you know, Joe Burrow made enough. He made it. He had a couple corner throws today. He had one to chase. That was like, 
he must have thrown it three steps before Chase was hit his that break. That guy was happening all game. His first <laughs> yeah. 25 attempts, he was 20 at 25. He had 2.36 time to throw on those plays, on those 25 yeah. attempts. You could feel that. And yeah. there were a couple of extended play action throws that pumped that up. But I, if you look at the numbers, I didn't get this granular on it, but I guarantee you from the shotgun on third down, whatever, that number mm-hmm. is much lower. And the 2.36 yeah. is already a low number. So with about 11 minutes left in the third quarter, there's that third and inches play where Roquan has him dead to rights. Yep. And he somehow slips out of it. Third nine on that same drive, he gets it out to chase real quick, working out underneath against Marlon Humphrey. Play action from under center on the on the very next play. He hits Chase on the right side underneath. And then the throw to Hurst for the touchdown. He audibles into that. And it's a beautiful quarters beater where they high low the linebacker. Yep. And they he somehow sees that they're going to rotate back into it because Chuck Clark on that play he threw is, that so early <laughs> he I, he can he audible audibles into the play so yeah. he on that play Chuck Clark is walked down over Hayden Hurst as the number two receiver and Burrow somehow is like deciphers that they're going to drop back into quarters and I'm going to be able to hit him on a little in breaker mm-hmm. with Joe Mixon holding down the linebacker right there in that spot and he audible into it and. It was a beautiful throw, beautiful decision, threw it right on time. Those are some of the moments. Again, not gaudy numbers from him, but playing with three backup offensive linemen against a team that has seen you a lot, knows you a lot, is, I think, a very good team, good, very good defensive team, very well coached on that side of the ball. I thought that he really controlled the game in a way that was beneficial for the Bengals. What we said is that he, I should say, learn how to play quarterback, but he's quarterbacked his ass off this whole year. He really has. What, I think tonight was another example was. of that, even it's if the numbers weren't football. great. It's playoff football. It's team game. That's what it is. It, it, the stats, it's, it doesn't matter. Like It's the W at the end of the game, and they played fine enough on that side of the ball. And that's on top of it. It's just, it was, that's, it was that type of a game. They were only getting so many possessions. They had to work for it. Like they were like, Hey, we can't just give this ball right away or back right away. Uh, they did at the end of the game, but that's what it was. They had to stay efficient and stay ahead of the chains, not make any mistakes. That's what it was. It felt like that from the Bengals, especially on offense. It's like, don't like, just don't give any easy buckets to this opposing team. Yeah. So it's like, we take care of the ball as well. Nothing stupid or anything, but then. That's what's awesome about the team. And we talked about when we complimented this Bengals offense and how they adjust and become more efficient, especially running the ball and passing the ball. That's the only way, two ways that you can move the ball. But yeah. Uh, but then all of a sudden the two point T Higgins is dunking, you know, and again, they always have that little card that they could pull off. Jamar Chase is making 20 guys miss. You know, the first, no, still the first tackler has never brought down Jamar Chase. It's still going. Longest streak that you'll ever see. It's the, it's the iron horse of NFL football is how many <laughs> the first tackler Jamar Chase has made um, Lou Gehrig style but uh, no that's what they did I love the Chase touchdown that they had um, in the red zone they you know Roquan Smith was running vertical with Tyler Boyd because it's just the rules in the red zone it took took advantage of Patrick Queen's eyes as soon as Patrick Queen looks over there Burrow hits Chase boom easy walk-in touchdown so nice designs and then they just have those plays and players in their back pocket of all times are you worried about the Bengals after what they look like tonight not, no, uh, this is kind of not really. Uh, not, uh, offensive line, yes, I, I will that, say. That. I mean, that's. That, I think that's the starting point. But as far as how they're calling games and everything, not really. I, I think the Bengals, uh, like as far as like what they're running and everything, no, there's not like where it goes. Oh my god, they can't win a game. Oh, I'm not concerned about that at all. I think they've done a great job of that all season. But personnel wise, yeah. and the guys they're going to trot out, oh, if Jonah Williams is out, I'm worried about that. And the one spot on defense 
where we haven't really talked about it that much because they haven't gotten burned on it that often. Their corners are not great. I mean, right. they're rolling out Cam Taylor, Britt, and Eli Apple, and it is the weak spot of that defense when you consider all of their personnel. And I think yeah. that that's important to remember when they're playing some teams that are going to be able to push the ball down the field like Buffalo is going to be able to. So right. I think and that spot on defense and what the state of the offensive line is, those three guys being out and what it potentially makes you do and how you have to play, yeah. I am concerned about that. I am worried yeah. about that against a Buffalo team that can heat you up. Yeah, the, no, the O line, that, that's what it is. I, I think maybe I just <laughs> immediately think of Burrow and how the defense is playing because that's just how I go. But I mean, that, that's a great point about the corners because DeMar- you don't really want Demarcus Robinson hitting you for double moves for touchdowns. <laughs> like, that's not really what you want to go into before you're about to play Stephon Diggs. So, uh, yeah, the offensive line makes me worried. And then offensive line made me worried last year. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I know that's lightning in a bottle sometimes, but it's Burrow mitigates that. The, they get rid of the ball so quickly. They have better answers that feel better about it on offense this year, but you never want to have a poor line in the playoffs. It, it's just hard, especially when you're going against a Bills defense, like you said, that has guys up front that can get after you. I mean, Ed Oliver is probably going to have a, <laughs> is licking his chops about going up this. And also on their defense, this is another thing. This, I, I don't know, spoilers for the preview episode that design rushes thing from the quarterbacks i am like that Bengals had some issues defending huntley yeah, tonight and i know that's the point lead. the bills have still kept that in their back pocket but they have that they they have the ostrich that can always take that there there's there's a little you know hole in the armor uh going on with that so, uh, as well i mean they had took trey hendrickson out of the game at, at one point yeah. and because I, I feel like they didn't really like how they were defending some of those plays and the the play that I don't know how many scored on, but the big keeper that he had around the left mm-hmm. side, the Bills, that was the James Cook touchdown in reverse. Yep. It's the same yep. play, but he gives it. GT so Taylor. you're going to see a version of that most likely if you've shown on tape that you struggle to defend it because Buffalo absolutely, absolutely can trot that out there. So I mean, I yep. still I love so many things about this Bengals team. I, it's so weird in a game he threw for 200 yards, but this is tonight. It was just one of those moments where I was like, Joe Burrow is so good <laughs> like yeah the the, the, the quarterbacking exactly what you said about him playing quarterback and him really leaning into that I, I just feel like there's so many aspects to his game that he's improved from last year and he was my second team all pro quarterback last year right like i i like him more every single time i watch him and then that right. includes tonight i just feel like he has such a good handle on the game right now and the way that he's seeing things and the decisions that he's making i he really has kind of made me step back and kind of think about what quarterback development can look like for guys in this era. Because part of my concern about somebody like Joe Burrow, whose skill set was more cerebral instincts, all of those kinds of things in this world where it takes a while to develop the mental side of it as a young quarterback, Mm -hmm. that time I was concerned about how long that would take and whether if you didn't have the physical talent to kind of overcome some learning curves on the mental side of it, what the early part of your career would look like. And he's gotten so good on that side so quickly that it ultimately hasn't really mattered how quickly he's getting rid of the ball, how well he sees everything. And it's kind of made me step back and be like, all right, what does that mean? You know, if we have another guy come along that plays the game like that, what does that ultimately mean? I do think it's really important to remember in the story of Joe Burrow's success, what his physical frame does for him though, 
because his right. ability to work through arm tackle <laughs> exactly yeah. his ability to yeah. work through arm tackles and to shove guys off in the pocket that's yep. hugely important and is a necessary component of that entire discussion but i do yep. think that without the monster arm and some of those other things we've seen from the really good elite quarterbacks young quarterbacks in the league he's a lesson i, I think that i've learned over the last three or four years watching him play it's learning that just I mean this in a good way, being functional, like a functional athlete and being having functional arm strength and maximizing what those those tool sets are. It just shows that it doesn't matter what you're given is if you're using it efficiently, like Joe Burrow maximizes everything he can, not only just the pocket movements, but every throw comes out early. He doesn't throw outbreakers late. He knows what he is. And that is a skill is knowing what you are. That's Look at Tyler Huntley jumping from the <laughs> jumping from the three yard line like that. But seriously, knowing what you are matters, and that Joe Burrow knows what he is. I actually think some of the things was last year made jokes multiple times. They ran like five plays throughout the whole year, and I think sometimes Joe Burrow got into his comfort zone of like, "Hey, we just call these plays. I'm good. If not, I'll just run around." And I think he learned like, "I, I can't live this way. Yeah. Like, I can't." But to I gotta, learn like, that get- so quickly. And to make right. that transition so seamlessly, that's what's been so impressive. And, yeah. and that's why it's like, man, this guy's just, he's got it. Like, he, he just, he is one of he's the guys. He's a dude. Like, he is he's a dude. He's a dude. Yeah. He just a dude. is a dude. And the way that yeah. the guys that didn't have, in a way that, like, guys late in their careers were dudes, in the way that, like, late right. career Rivers was a dude. Like, that, yeah. I, I didn't expect him to have that handle on things in the way that he does this early in his career. And it's very impressive to watch. It is. It really is. It really is. I, I, I'm loving it because he was smart, but he's playing even smarter than like, that's what's really cool to watch. The Ravens do a little postmortem for them here very quickly. Got an interesting offseason ahead of them, man. They have a very interesting offseason. <laughs> I mean, All starts with one guy. <laughs> I think that they are one of the three or four most intriguing teams of the offseason because obviously Ooh. you have the quarterback question. That's the big yes. looming question. What ends yep. up happening there? Is, does it, is it an extension for Lamar? Can they get to an extension with Lamar? Yep. Is it the franchise tag for Lamar? What does that really bring you? you know, we've right. seen it work out in the past. Dak was franchise tag. They eventually got to that extension. What does the relationship look like between the yes. Ravens and Lamar after the way the last month and a half has gone? What do you do? What do you do? It's been a long day. <laughs> what do you do at your offensive play caller spot Based on the way that this year has gone, based on some of the struggles that you've had throwing the football consistently, what do you do at your pass catcher spots so you get to a point in a playoff game where if Rashad Bateman goes down, you aren't throwing to Sammy Watkins and James Prochet <laughs> and Demarcus yeah. Robinson who you signed off the street. You're not handing yep. the ball off to Mark Andrews. Like I just think that there is a lot of looming questions and considerations about every aspect of the offensive side of the ball for the Ravens heading into next year. And it's interesting with the Ravens because they usually feel like such a, maybe it's just, you know, how we, how we pigeonhole them, but a team always in control where it's like, no, they're just adding on to what they're doing. And they're, they're on the, they're two steps ahead. And they're never acting out of urgency or panic. That's what it feels like. And feels like it's, they're inching this, out of that right now. Yeah. This it's uncharted waters. Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously it is for them uh, for a lot of franchises with your, your youngest MVP winner in NFL history is now in a contract situation. And really what, what is the answer? No, but it, it is fascinating what they're going to do because I think what you said, even with the play caller, even with Lamar coming back would have been interesting what they did with the play car. Now with Lamar and Greg Roman being such a specific type 
of play caller and what he does and brings to an offense, good and bad. Like there are, there is as much as I've dogged Roman on the show for years and years, there, there's a lot of good that he does bring to the table. There is some creativity in the run game and all that, but that is, it was very much a Lamar move to make him to play caller in the first place. So what happens there? It, it is truly, truly fascinating because this team too has some really interesting pieces like Kyle Hamilton coming along, Tyler Linderbaum coming along, you know, all these other guys, Roquan Smith, of course they re-signed. They got some really cool pieces Okay, but it's a it's a huge pivot point for them, and it's going to be really, really fascinating. I'm wondering whether or not they think that this model on offense has run its course, or if they yeah. think it's best to stay that course because it sets their quarterback up to succeed, and that's the guy they want playing quarterback. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what don't they think about that, but I think their answer to it ultimately could help shape their offseason. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing to be the Navy of the NFL. No. And I don't mean that just because they run the ball, but to zag when everyone else is zigging. Like, it's not a bad thing to have a unique offense that's a pain in the ass for everybody. That is a good, that could be a very good asset. So that's the thing is that, yeah, I don't know what the good answer is. I still is. think you like, need, I, really, I think even with that in mind, though, you still need pass catching options and answers absolutely. on third and seven. And it's Mark size. Andrews is a really Please good give me player. A receiver. Please yeah. be a six-two or a taller receiver. Just, please, just yeah, please, some just, ball winner. Uh, somebody that's going to make a play for you in a big moment. That, and yes. I know Andrews is a good player, but like other than yeah. that, and just like the structure of the passing game, it just yep. feels like they have less answers in some of those high leverage moments outside of yep. Lamar do something than a lot of the other really good teams in the NFL have. I think on yep. early downs, I totally agree. Be difficult to prepare for. Be unique. Be a thorn in everyone's side because you are built in a slightly different way. But mm-hmm. at a certain point. You need to be able to make those mo- make those yep. plays when it's third and eight in the playoffs, and I just want better guys around them and a better plan around them to be able to do that. Absolutely, it's always the drop back game with them, and that that's what the, what the playoffs is. It's do you have you don't you don't have to like this doesn't have to be your fastball or your major, but do you have a answer to what is presented to you? And that's what you're going to see. That's what you already saw this weekend. How many times people took away other teams' strengths or made their weaknesses glaring. And we'll talk about a couple of them, these later ga- other games, but that's the thing. That's what playoffs comes down to. And that's why that's so important. You can go 12 and five, have an awesome run game. And as soon as you get the playoffs, every third down, is just a nuke fest like that, that, it's not fun. It's not a fun place to live. So, no, that's absolutely right. They do need answers no matter what. They keep trying to trot out a new passing game coordinator every year for them, but they actually they need more input. Like, if they are going to keep Greg Roman, he's better freaking listen and actually, like, adapt what they're doing in the passing game. They have to. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get back with a barn burner in Vikings Giants. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, Giants go to Minnesota, knock off the Vikings 31-24. to What a fantastic game. Love the, this football game. What a fantastic <laughs> this game. Was awesome. Game. Yeah. I, just nothing but good feelings. Like the whole time on both sides of the ball. I, I want to, we'll dig into the nitty gritty and the minutia of it here in a bit. But I think my first takeaway is just a really kind of a culminating achievement for what the Giants season was with this coaching staff and this group of personnel. I think that this was a real statement for people that maybe didn't watch the Giants all year about what yep. their offense looked like under Brian Dable and Mike Kafka with Daniel Jones playing quarterback. I think this is an incredible moment for Daniel Jones to play the way that he did today. And yep. just a reminder that even though this team was the seventh seed in the NFC or the sixth seed in the NFC, even though this team was a nine, seven and one team, they weren't supposed to be very good before the season. It wasn't a just happy to be their team. Like they absolutely could give somebody a run for their money in the wild card round based on the way that their offense specifically was playing and based on how healthy they were getting on defense. And that's exactly what happened today. I love how you said too, is that those who didn't watch the giants this year, this was a great, like kind of like culmination of what they have done, especially on offense. And it's hilarious because that's what the offensive game plan today was Seiko on Barkley early and often passing, <laughs> you know, catching yeah. the ball and getting the handoff, some Hodgins, some random receiver doing, doing some good things. And Daniel Jones using his legs and being super efficient. Yeah. That's, that's, that's been their plan all year. And it, the that, makeup was, was a little bit different. They ran the ball like 50 times a game at the beginning of the season. They came out <laughs> yeah. slinging it today, but the usage Every of personnel, time. the ran yes. Isaiah Hodgins being a random receiver. And then what Daniel Jones was doing with his legs that absolutely was a through line through the entire year plus some of the designs yeah. and the designs exactly well and uh, they made a point of it and they said on the broadcast broadcast was they're really good in third down and red zone they maximize their chances they, do, they that's what this team has done they talk about just like every chance they get they maximize it every game plan they've had so far even though we make these jokes about what it is it makes sense you know who was very bad at defending scrambles the vikings so daniel jones you can tell it was in his head oh i was so glad when it, it just right away he was running running around i was like oh there it is the first try <laughs> i mean immediately in the right first away. quarter just and you could tell it was part of the game plan because anytime he confirmed he got man coverage, he scrambled. He just he just went one, done, gone. And so that meant throughout the week, they're like, hey, look for it. it. It was not a – you could just tell in rhythm how guys are in rhythm. It wasn't the scatterbrain, look left and right, look left and right, and then scramble. It was, oh, one's done. Oh, they're in man, gone. And yeah, uh, he had six scrambles or six design or uh, yeah, six scrambles days, six successful plays, four first downs. Um, that's that's a really good scrambling day. Um, and on top of it, how they use Saquon, especially as a pass catcher, I, I loved. Um, again, this is just designed. They, they, it's a I use the term brutally efficient by the Cowboys and just how they play, how Dak plays, and how their run game is. What the Giants are efficient as, especially as a coaching staff, and how their game plans are. We have these three plays and three designs we like. Spam them. Yeah. That is a weakness that you can't defend. And for them, for what the Giants against the Vikings, it was having Saquon Barkley cross-release 
uh, which is, you know, you release through one gap, but you burst across the field towards the other gap. He caught one where Jordan Hicks can tell that they're fucked. He just goes, oh, no. <laughs> and Barkley's crossing his face. And then you can see Kendricks. Kendricks is looking the other way. And then it goes for a big gain. They went back to the same play later. It gets a blitz. Went for another big gain. But there's one. I just want to talk about this one real quick. There's a couple of fun plays the Giants did. But this one was really cool was – um, they had Saquon run a flat route a couple times. The Vikings like to be in too high, you know, cover six and stuff. And you can get those flat routes and bubbles because of the overhang. And usually it's Eric Kendricks. And you just outrace him to the flat. That's just the theory of those types of plays when you see someone just catching a quick flat route. But what the Giants did on one was they got into empty. They had Barkley in a chip position, you know, like we've talked about with the Rams, that he's about to chip. And then they just had him run to the flat. They threw it. And Eric Kendricks, who's such a smart player, he sees Saquon Barkley in an empty chip. And he goes, oh, he's chipping. So when at the snap of the ball, he drops and gets depth and he's supposed to have Barkley and Barkley just catches it. gets an easy first down. I think it was, but little tweaks, just the, I know what you know, what I know what you know, kind of plays. And that's what the giants do. They just do it over and over. And that's why they stay in all these games and win these games. He did a lot of damage as a receiver, but that first touchdown that he had the first oh. drive where he scored that touchdown, I think it was their second score of the day to make it. It was 14, seven, but the the pin pull touchdown that he had we're showing oh, it right so now funny. they did this a lot today where they would line up in pony personnel with Brita on the field and they would use Brita as the jet motion guy to yeah. kind of just give a little bit of eye candy coming back the other way and on this play they pitched the ball to Saquon it's a pin pull where they get both Andrew Thomas and John Feliciano in on the move and Isaiah Hodgins just does a great job of yep. pinning down the end man of the line of scrimmage. He did this and multiple times today. <laughs> multiple times today, they asked him to one-on-one pin down the end man of the line of scrimmage as a receiver, and he was able to do it. And you that's before you even consider the work he did as a pass catcher in this game. He had eight catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. Th- yep. This is a dude that they signed off waivers in November. He wasn't on a <laughs> he team. On, he wasn't on a team the day after Halloween. <laughs> And he yeah. was the best player in their passing game today. And what's really he cool is you watch him. They're drawing up stuff for him. It, yes. He is the centerpiece of their passing game. Yes. And he's a guy they got on waivers uh, on November 1st. It's crazy. They're running choice routes for him in the slot. Like they, he's 6'5". Uh, yeah. And they're running choice routes. Like They they, they ran that snag uh, weak side choice route like three or four times with him. And the fact choice routes, whenever you hear me talk about them, Coaches design them to get them the ball. Like choice is one of those concepts. Like, yes, there's four other routes on it, but really one route's kind of highlighted, starred, circled. Like this ball is going here. Like maybe once one out of 10 times it goes to like a crosser. But the fact that they're highlighting him on those in the slot on like third downs, he caught a third down on one of them or a third down, first down on a third down on one of those. That matters. <laughs> like they, they like him. And I like the, the touchdown with Barkley. That's such a great one with Andrew. The difference between athleticism between John Feliciano and Andrew Thomas. And John Feliciano's trying his best, man. <laughs> He's tried. Hey, he had some good fist bumps. Hey, he, I, I, I love John. That, that's what cracked me up. But I was like, I watched those two and I was like, one of these guys was a top five pick. One was a middle round pick. I had to convert to center, even though he was a tackle in college. So, but even another another great design was the Bellinger TD. Took advantage of the eyes of the Vikings again. Um, the Bellinger TD, like uh, the little off the play action, like man, just some really good design stuff that just took advantage. I mean, and the fact that Daniel Jones only had four 
passes that went over 15 air yards today. Yeah. Three of them, three of them went for first downs. It was just a, if you look at his little, uh, his heat chart, his target chart, it looks like a table at five yards, just all straight across, couple screens and like a couple candles. And that's the, the four deep throws. But, uh, no, it was a great day by him and a great designs. And this is what, this is what they've done all year. My favorite play was the Hodgins touchdown. And empty. it was really simple. They were an empty uh, from about the 13 yard line. Andrew Thomas may or may not have gotten away with a little bit of a false start, but it's not what matters here. So Richie James is the number one receiver on this play. Uh, He's the furthest outside to the left. He motions into a stack with Hodgins, and he comes just inside of him. And by doing that, he plays the Giants play with the number count that the Vikings are defending on that play. So now, with Richie James being the number two receiver, Patrick Peterson has to take Isaiah Hodgins as the number one, but he's out leveraged because Hodgins mm-hmm. is in a tighter split. So they have it immediately. And as soon as Harrison Smith walked over there and started talking to Patrick Peterson and they switched, it was like, all right, we got him now. And it's just a yeah. really small, simple thing. But they do this consistently where it's just like a tiny little detail within a play and they make it easy. And Daniel Jones rips a great throw for a touchdown. And as yep. soon as I saw that, I was like, man, that's just good. Like it's just super simple, but that's just good. And you saw that consistently from this team today. And the part of this that made the game fun is that the same thing was happening on the other side for the most part. I mean, the stuff that the Vikings were doing offensively, all of the red zone designs that they had today, a lot of them using Justin Jefferson as a decoy, putting him in motion, putting him in Mm -hmm. the backfield. They did so many things to give themselves easy answers in that part of the field. And Justin Jefferson didn't really do much in part because of the plan that the Giants had for him defensively, but the Vikings still moved the ball extremely well because they had a plan outside of Jefferson. Like Today was pretty nice victory lap for the TJ Hawkinson trade for Minnesota. Like That was a necessary move for them to be able to function offensively in a game where a team was hell-bent on not allowing Justin Jefferson to beat them with big plays. It was the first time or one of the few times this year with the Vikings where it didn't seem like they were surprised by the plan for Justin Jefferson. Because every team, every defense has, had a, has a surprise for them going like, this is how we're going to take 18 out of the game. And this was the first time they felt like, we I, we think we know what they're going to do. And sure enough, there, there was Wink Martindale running a bunch of zone coverage and they were ready for it. And you could tell that they were ready for the court. Like, you know, it was a lot of quarters variations. And in that quarters variations was – the Vikings had a lot of answers for it. Um, there's one play like they would go into uh, the Giants were matching nickel to 12 personnel. So the Vikings started to go to 21 personnel, put a fullback on to make the Giants get into base yeah. defense. And they actually had a really good day out of base or when they had to put the Giants in base, but they kept going into slot formations, which is where two, if you're in a standard two receiver set, it's both receivers are on the same side. And, when you do that against a balanced defense, like a quarters defense, you're making them declare, okay, are you going to have a guy in the box? You're going to have a guy in the overhang halfway. <laughs> the Giants, every single time, walk the overhang defender out towards Jefferson in the slot. They're like, no, 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 no. You're not getting us. And that's why the run game was pretty nice for the Vikings. They had some nice runs out of those slot formations. Um, the Thielen wheel route that he caught near the yeah. red zone, outside the red zone. Another quarters beater off play action. He's doing it from the slot and the slot formation. Yeah, Jefferson and him are on the same side. That was 21 personnel with both of them on the same side. Yep. All the under routes, the Hawkinson under routes, those are all high lows, quarters beaters. Um, The Julian Love almost interception that he had, it was a classic high low, just an underneath route with a dig behind it. And 
you know, quarters, the safety drives really hard on Diggs, and so that's why I almost got picked. It's a great play by McKinney. Quarter. That's exactly what you have to do. If you're going to play that to. soft quarters it's coverage, bang, bang. you have to drive hard on that play. And I thought they yeah. did a really good job of that all game. I was a little all bit day. worried. After the first drive, when I saw how much soft zone coverage they were playing, yeah. I was like, uh-oh. I don't know how Here this goes is going to go. Yeah, and yeah. They, I mean, the Vikings, Kirk Cousins finished 31 of 39 in this game. I mean, they yep. were consistently completing passes, but they had very, very little down the field. So yes. the overall plan today from the Giants clearly was you are not going to beat us over the top. They put yep. split safety coverages on 65% of their plays, according to Next Gen Stats. <laughs> that's their highest mark of the season. Okay. Yeah. They yeah. averaged like 64% against the Vikings in their two games. That would have ranked as the highest rate in the NFL over the course of the entire year. In all of their other games, the Giants ranked 30th. It was like 24%. Yeah. So they went totally out of character, and I was a little bit worried about that. We talked about it on Thursday. And they allowed a lot of completions in this game, but they allowed mm -hmm. almost nothing down the field. So the right. Vikings had three completions in this game over 20 yards. One of them was a play you pointed out on Twitter. Tony Jefferson missed a communication on third and nine yeah. and let TJ Hawkinson leak out. So it was just a blown assignment. Okay, that's one. Yep. Two is the wheel you just talked about to Adam Thielen, where they I can't remember if it was a They they what, flashed the fake towards like towards the slot. So was that, was, the slot did Jefferson behind. did Jefferson fake a screen on that play or did he run it? No, that was run. the fourth down. I ran okay. the fake screen. Uh, they just did like a switch switch vertical kind of thing. Yeah. That's right. Wheel so it was post, just switch vertical, but he they, yeah. they put it was Jared Davis. It was just like a real wow. They put Jared Davis in space. But it, the point is, it's a schemed up play, right? Yes. Like you're scheming Designer. up that play Designer as a Designer play. Okay? Yes. So that's yes. One, that's the second one. The third one, also a schemed up designer play. It was the stick nod to TJ Hawkinson. Yes. So another quarters beater. Yes. The three yep. 20 yard plus completions they had in this game, two of them were designed plays yes. within quarters coverage. One of them was a missed assignment. That's it. Other yep. than that, it was all stuff underneath the entire game. Cousins averaged 4.71 yards per completion in this game, air yards per completion. And that's the plan worked. Even if yes. they completed 31 to 39 throws, and even if they consistently moved the ball, their plan of you are not going to beat us with chunks in this game, that ultimately did play out. Yep. And I mean, another way they did it was they had seven DBs on the field for 20 dropbacks. It's crazy. I mean, I, you can keep track of who uh, all the guys were. It's like, is, I was one of those things I, yesterday. I, I was like, uh, is Tony Jefferson playing linebacker? Like, who is that? That's where when Jefferson did the, you know, the palms up, like, what was the signal? And I was going to tweet. I was like, this is what happens when you play seven DBs. Like, not, not everyone's going to be in tune on what your checks are. But that's that's what they did. But that's another thing is that you're going to, uh, you know, mitigate big plays because you have a little more speed on the field. So it's a lot of guys can just keep up, especially down the field. But I think there was just really, really just felt like one bomb attempt from Cousins the whole day. And it was covered, easily covered by the post safety. Like, yeah. you're they couldn't even take a chance. That's what quarters can do if you play it right, is that you put, if we say a shell, too high shell, you're literally putting a shell on the on the offense. If the safeties play are smart and know how to pass stuff off, the overs and post combos, you can make it really, really hard to hit big plays against it. Same conversation we're having about the Ravens, where we want to yep. make you string drives together, and there were yes. a couple moments that ultimately swing this game. The third and one throwback to Cousins early in the game um, that is ill-advised. You're moving the ball. And I think O'Connell said it at halftime. He's like, I shouldn't have done it. I was looking yeah. for a big play. We should just let our offense keep going. I do love his honesty, man. Like, and he, he, he was he, right. He, and I I, I think that's yeah. great. And then I I, the biggest turning point in the game was the set of fourth and ones 
I believe, in the fourth quarter, where the Giants have a fourth and inches. Excuse me, the Vikings have a fourth and one that Darisaw gets dinged for a false start. They ultimately have to kick a field goal. And then the Giants have a fourth and inches from the six, and they punch it in for a touchdown. And the game swings in that moment. You go from a potential touchdown for the Vikings to take the lead to the Giants getting the ball back, them going down and scoring a touchdown. And that's what I mean. If you're making those teams string drives together, it's a third and one here. It's a false start there. And that ultimately could be the difference in the game when you're moving the ball as well as the Giants offense was. Yep. And well, and that's what we've talked about with the Vikings and why it can seem stretches of frustration, especially with their offense, was they have trouble being efficient. They they live, they thrive off explosives and, and those big plays. So that's what the Giants did. Hey, you guys like explosive plays? All right. We'll take it away. <laughs> so let's see, let's see you guys nickel and dime us. And you know, Cousins had some nice moments. And though, like you said, it was a win for the Hawkinson trade because that's what that's what Hawkinson's for is to beat zone coverage. That is what he is for. He is an underneath quarterback's best friend, attack the middle of the field. Secondary uh, receiving that, option when Jefferson gets taken away. That's what they needed. That's and what that's, he is. Oh, that's what he ended that's up being in the biggest moment not, of the season. He is not Kelsey. He's not Darren Waller. He's not Kittle where he's just running away from guys, but he is meant to destroy zone coverages. Like that is what he is for. And that's, it works, but that's the thing. It's hard. That's really hard to do as an offense when you don't have haymakers to throw. And I mean, they had, the Vikings had some great, great designs. Like you already brought them up, but the using Jefferson on the motions and everything. And the fact that the Giants kind of kept pace with that, with their own offense is again, team ball. That was team ball once again. They they got their explosives and they limited the Vikings' explosives. A couple guys I wanted to point out on the Giants that came up with huge <laughs> plays in this game. I know one. <laughs> well, I mean, Dexter Lawrence, it, it, that, <laughs> that final fourth and eight, Dexter, if Dexter Lawrence doesn't get pressure nope, on that play, then, I mean, there's a chance that Cousin completes that. It was almost, it was a ball don't lie thing for earlier for getting that pass interference or for getting yeah. that personal foul. Four QB but hits today. He, he had eight pressures. I mean, yep. he is such a difference maker on that side. Yep. And you saw that consistently. That last drive, I think he had three or four pressures when the game was on He's the line. Closer. 345 pound defensive tackle, yep. 70 plays into a game is what? making a difference in those moments. Lining That's up awesome. at nose. Yes. Lining up at nose when he gets double teamed on every pass set because they slide to him. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty ridiculous what he's doing. Darnay Holmes had two huge TFLs on completions to Dalvin Cook in the second half where he just stuck him. In, in the open field for like three mm-hmm. or four yard losses to help torpedo drives. Two of them. Cordell Flott did not play the whole game, didn't play the whole game, and then comes in for his first play of the game, I believe, was on a third and eight on the final drive of the game, and he had a PBU against on KJ Osborne, and then the next play was that fourth and eight. So a guy comes yep. in cold and breaks yes. up a pass to at the, yes. one of the biggest moments of the game. Adoree Jackson was back today. He shadowed Justin Jefferson. I think that was really big. Their defense was as healthy as it's been, but you still had these little we're rebuilding moments where Isaiah Hodgins is your best receiver and Jared Davis, who didn't start the entire season, was one of their starting linebackers. The entire tapestry of what this was was the 2022 Giants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like anytime there's three linebackers on the field or they're in base defense on the field, it was like, oh, God, I think I want to say they like the Vikings just shredded it in the passing game every time they passed against it. But same thing was the KJ Osborne touchdown. The uh, the play that the I, mo- I the Moses, Moses Mesh. Moses Mesh. Yeah, that's what really that's the parted like the Red Sea. But you see that and you see the linebackers. It, it was pretty awesome because the Giants DBs are so focused on Jefferson. He's running it over, so they 
the both safeties and the corner are looking at Jefferson. And so when you have the mesh with the two crossers, all the linebackers just get swallowed up. There's KJ Osborne just sitting right in the middle. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. It was just like, you know, the Ohio dot, dot the eye kind of thing where he's just by himself. So, uh, but no, but that's like, again, it's like, it's not always perfect, even if they had so many fastballs throughout the day, but, but also, but then they just have dudes like Dexter Lawrence that step up. So it's just a, it's an interesting team, but always entertaining team. We'll have a lot of time to talk about the Giants future and what they're going to do with Daniel Jones and all of that. Maybe yeah, next week. I, that's the only thing that's worth getting into right now. He played very well tonight, and I was impressed by him. The Vikings and their future, I think, is worth talking about. What an interesting team in an interesting spot. Because mm-hmm. I know you and I were enthusiastic about them coming we into were. the season. We both picked them to make the playoffs. We both picked Kevin O'Connell to be coach of the year. We both picked yep. Justin Jefferson to be the offensive player of the year, I believe. I was yep. enthusiastic about them. But even before the season, Quezzi Adolfo Mensa referred to their year as a competitive rebuild. Remember when he said that? Yeah. And so people were wondering, what are they going to do? Are they going to tear it down a little bit because they've been this middling team for a little while? Mm-hmm. Are they going to try to stay competitive? And so I think this year, obviously, all the numbers will tell you the Vikings were better in their win-loss column than they probably were as a team. Right. So what does this offseason look like for them? I really don't know which direction no, they want to go. This team is $20 million over the 2023 salary cap. I saw a tweet about that. I was <laughs> well, it's because of the decisions that they've made. You know, when yeah. they, I, I believe it was the previous regime when they were trying to save some money by restructuring deals for Adam Thielen and Harrison Smith, for example, right? Both of those right. guys are slated to make $20 million about against the cap. And you can't really move on from them for much savings unless you make them like post June 1st cuts. And even that is, you know, well, I guess you can save a decent amount of money if you do that, but there aren't that many clear avenues for them to save a lot of money. So I just right. don't know what their off season plan is going to look like based on where they are as a team right now. And based on the way the season went. Yeah. It's sorry, but like when we talk about this, we talk about this, like with the jets and talk about their off season and like, oh, well, you can cut this guy. Oh, look at all that room and everything. That's what's actually kind of really fun. Reverse engineering. Like, what could the plan be? And same with the Vikings. I mean, this is a team that always just, I wouldn't say always all in, but under Zimmer, it just is like they're always competing. There's no rebuilding or even sniff of a rebuild ever happening in the Vikings for what feels like a decade. Um, but that that's that's what's interesting. And I that competitive rebuild, I'm glad you brought that back up because that could mean so much. That could mean like we're leaning towards the competitive path or that could mean we're leaning towards the rebuild path at any moment's notice. Um, so, no, I'm very curious what they do. This was a very vet-laden team. It's an old team. Old team. And, I mean, just look at their DBs. I mean, that's all you need to look at. Even their linebackers, too. But it, it's an older, older team. Um, but they have some interesting pieces as well. So, no, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what they do as well. I, I really am. That area, the secondary is, I think, where they have to get the the most amount of youth. And they did that this offseason. They, they drafted Lewis yeah. Seen. They drafted Andrew yep. Boots. So what does that end up looking like? Yep. You know, one of the guys, Zedaria Smith, they can move on from, but Zedaria Smith played really well for them this year. So exactly. those are kind of the questions. Yeah. Jordan Hicks is somebody where they could save some money. So a lot of looming questions. I think overall, though, an important takeaway, a very promising first season from Kevin O'Connell and from that staff. Yes. I thought that he did a great job. I thought that he, I think he's the right person for yeah. this job and the right person for what they needed in the post-Zimmer world, the way that 
guys talk about that building and what the culture is and just how what's what it's like to go to work every day. I think that as teams overcorrect based on their previous coach, this is one right. of those moments where it was probably smart to do so, and I think it has paid dividends for them. Absolutely. I think he's a very thoughtful coach. And and I mean that I really like his answers when he gives answers and quotes I've seen from him. He he he's just he's honest and I, I like it. I really do like it. I think that it wasn't always perfect this year, but when they tried to adjust their game or when they tried even like the Packers game that was ugly for them late in the season, it is some of the bad stuff I could see what they were trying to accomplish. And that make that I like that. That's where it's like, hey, it wasn't perfect, but at least your process was decent. Like as far as game planning and all that, I'm optimistic as far as that regime. I think they have a lot of good coaches. I'm optimistic about him. It's just curious what the personnel is going to be. But I do think he's uh, smart enough to understand his personnel as time goes along. Maybe early in the year, maybe he was like, we're going to be 11, and they realize, oh, this shit ain't working. But they realized that they had to do that. And he tries to find answers. And I think that's a very important quality in a head coach. I, they have to figure out what their defense is going to look like. Because yeah. this, that defensive plan of just playing the amount of soft zone they played throughout the entire season. Yeah. I understand if that's partially driven by the worries you have about your corners and just the state of your yep. defensive secondary. Then if when you upgrade those spots or when you get a little bit younger, a little bit more athletic, does that change? Because right. whatever the defense looks like at the end of the year, that can't continue. And no. how those changes come, that's another question. But I think that we all can agree on that. Yeah. No, I agree. I uh, we That's what we laughed at. I was like, oh, yeah, play man. Well, I don't think they can. <laughs> I don't think they – he uses the dice move too much. I think that's all he's got. <laughs> that's, and that's all he's got, that, man. That's all he's got. And, and Donatello just sitting there in the, in the club like Seth Rogen. It's kind of how it feels at this point. <laughs> That's how it really felt. Yeah, We're going to take one more (laughs) quick break and then talk about Bill's Dolphins before we get out of here. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right. A tight, tight game that I don't think anyone expected in Bill's Dolphins. I mean, my first takeaway is just that was way too close for comfort if you're (laughs) Buffalo. (laughs) That was way too close, especially with Skylar Thompson throwing like you know, as soon as he threw that first interception, I was like, all right, that's, that's about it. <laughs> that's really what we're going to have. But no, it just felt like they couldn't get over the hump and you never want to feel that. You're, you, that's as probably as a Bills fan, this whole game, you're like, are we, are we that team or is this, is this really happening? Cause it just felt like they just couldn't get out of that little mucky start that they had. It was such a strange swing of emotions because yeah. when they were up 17 to nothing, the first touchdown, the first scoring drive, there was yeah. the bomb to Diggs, yeah. which is just beautiful. They <laughs> <so pretty>. Allen <laughs> adjusts the protection. They yeah. go with seven in protection. He knows he has the one-on-one. The Dolphins bring a zero blitz, and he mm-hmm. goes 60 yards in the air over the top of it, which is just like, okay. I mean, I guess. I guess that's a yeah. plan. If, sure. if, you can, if you can do it, which is just ridiculous. See Darius Slay on – Twitter was talking about it. He's like, as a corner, that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to be able to, if it doesn't get home, you're not supposed to be able to throw it 60 yards down the field for that sort of play. We we run a 40 yard dash for a reason. We don't, (laughs) we don't have to run 60. So that happens. (laughs) And then he completes the ridiculous one. Dawson Knox for the touchdown. And then they get the pick and then they score. And it's like, well, this is just one of those games where the bills have this gear. And to know you have that gear as the playoffs are ramping up, and then to almost have this season where you were the Super Bowl favorites coming into the year slip away from you against Skylar Thompson, that little vacillation and feelings over the course of a four and a half hour football game was a lot to deal with. Oh my God. It was like a college game. How long it took and all the mistakes that were happening. It really felt, I, I, I tweeted this. It felt like it was the best fun belt game I've watched in weeks. Like that's what it really felt like as the game went along. But I mean, the first play, it was a sign of things to come for the day was the Dolphins said, we, you know, better to burn out than fade away. They, they brought heat and they brought pressures. They brought that cover zero early and they brought a lot of pressure throughout the day. And this was the most throws of 20 or more air yards that Josh Allen has had in his entire career in one game. Uh, it was, it, I looked it up since he started starting. He had 12, almost a third of his pass attempts were 20 air yards or more. <laughs> 12 of them. He, had, he, he averaged went, 15 air yards per, per yeah. attempt in this game. Because they blitz him, and, he, and I guess the Bills just don't like hot routes. They just throw go balls. <laughs> and that's fine. Like, that's that's what's tough. Uh, and I, I just real quick as me as a my football theory here is when you get pressured is my I've always believed this is you block it up and you gash them just like it happened in that first drive to the beautiful deep ball. But it also goes to show you how go balls are the 50 50 balls and how they can bounce the wrong way for you. Allen went five for 12 on those throws for 159 yards <laughs> and one touchdown, but one interception. And that's what it is, though. It's a boomer bust. That was almost 50 50, five for 12, you know, six for 12, you know, that's 50 50. Um, it just, 
it's a hard way to live. It can be very, it can leave you frustrated for those drives. And we talk about getting those explosive plays. The Bills had what, 13 explosive plays today? Uh, they've only had one game with more this year than that was 14. It, it was just, uh, yeah, Allen was chaotic, and I, I'll talk about that in a second. Like 21 of his past attempts for lasted three or more seconds. That's the second most he's ever had in one game in his career. Like he just had it. Just it was chaotic, and that's what the Dolphins wanted. They wanted high variance Josh Allen. They said, "Screw that." Last game we let him nickel and dime us. They let him run on us. No, well, hey, we'll live with you throwing go balls all day, and we'll heat you up. And it kind of worked. It at least kept him in the game. It, it was death by, you know, they took some haymakers, but it kept him in the game and it kept him alive and made Josh Allen make a couple of mistakes. Pushing the ball on the field was one answer that was with mixed results. And then yep. when they would heat him up, he was trying to take off on some of those third downs. His eyes came down all the time. All, consistently in this game. So it was either yeah. I'm taking a shot down the field or I'm trying to take off. And that was not a good set of answers. And despite all the explosives that they had, they were not efficient offensively. They went five straight drives without scoring. So after the 17, after going up 17 to nothing, you have the John Brown interception on the deep shot. Mm-hmm. Khalil Shakir, that incompletion on that third and eight. That, if, if that happens, the game changes a little bit if he yeah. hangs on to that. But that's uh. an incompletion. The to- the Kohu tip to Javon Holland with a little bit yep. of contact against Beasley. That's intercepted. They come out in the second half. Eric Rowe strip sack fumble touchdown. Three and out. And then the following drive, they had the weird miscue on that counter bash for like a four-yard loss for a TFL. Jalen yeah. Phillips gets a pressure right through Spencer Brown's chest, incomplete deep shot, three and out. So that's six drives in a row where they yeah. came up empty. And then the game, in my opinion, shifts on the Khalil on the Kyrie Elam interception. Yes. So yes. it's 24 to 20 at that point. And yep. the Dolphins are pushed way deep in their own territory. Skylar Thompson lets one rip. I, I, I couldn't tell what the coverage was, whether that was cover two and he was underneath it because yeah. uh, if he was trying to take a whole shot, either way, ill-advised. So yes. that yeah. ball gets that, picked that's off. That's a sinking corner <laughs> if it's covered two. That is that, a very much sinking corner. <laughs> that's one of those moments where Skylar thinks he's Josh Allen with the, with the arm, yes. and that unfortunately is not the case. Yes. And then that drive is the one where they finish it off with a Beasley touchdown get the ball right back and then you get the jerk route to Beasley out of empty for like a 25 yard gain and then yep. the missile shot to Gabe Davis on that corner route. I think we have the video of it. It this is just a silly throw. I, talk about what's happening here for the people who are watching. So it's it's a classic high or low and and Gabe Davis is running a burst corner. So he inside stems and he runs a little seven route a corner route, but Josh Allen hits the top of his drop and lets this thing loose. So, but the, this is the difference, like you said, Skylar Thompson and throwing a whole shot and, and Josh Allen throwing this. So on this, it's just a, a, a Stefan Diggs is running a flat route or a flat stop high low. This is what smash. This is what you beat cover two with. So with Gabe Davis running that inside stem, the corner sees Stefan Diggs coming at him. He's like, well, I got to stay, you know, stay low on this, but it doesn't matter. It's in the red zone. That's still a tight space. Josh Allen hits the back of his drop and just fires that bad boy in there. I mean, they the Dolphins even have a chance. Even if they did play it smart and anticipated it, that throw didn't give him a chance. So this is just the combo of good scheme against the perfect coverage for that scheme and Josh Allen just being a freak and giving the defenses no room for error, even if they were on top of the play. And just, that's the frustrating perfect. part about this if yes. you're Miami is that you – You've given yourself a chance with some of the turnovers. You win the turnover battle, some of the inconsistencies with how they handled the blitz. But you can't leave the door open because these plays are still going to come. 
this yes. this play is still going to come. The drive after the Elam touch after the Elam interception, that was a third and eight where he keeps it on that third and eight. Yep. He is still going to be that for that force of nature that's going to yep. get you a few more times over the course of the game. So even with those miscues, the Dolphins weren't able to take advantage of that. Whether that was some of the drops early on, yep. whether and then obviously the biggest moment being that fourth and one where they have to take the delay of the game after oh, taking multiple timeouts to have to beat the play clock. That That's just a really, Those really bonkers. tough one. Yeah, it, it honestly felt like it. And I don't want to, you know, analyze, you know, body language and all that, but it just felt like the Dolphins, especially maybe Tyreek, like they, they just didn't think they had a chance really because Skyward Thompson sailed a ball and Tyreek just like, he kind of did the look over, like kind of jokingly, like kind of like, oh, I had no shot at that one. And I was like, oh, they're checked out. It's cold. They're, they're done. Like, especially when they went down that early. But actually, you know, kind of damaged them in the long run because they actually hung in the game. You can yeah. see them having a little more juice and having like, oh, shit, we're in this. And it kind of just, you know, too little, too late. And that's when you have Skyward Towns trying to throw whole shots and all that. But they did. I, I love the game plan that the Dolphins had. And that's what you said. When you don't have those chances and you are a double-digit underdog, you can't miss on the chances. Just like we're talking about the Ravens game. You can't you can't have those mistakes, even if you are starting the backup quarterback. Um, I just thought it was interesting. It was like the Dolphins Jedi mind trick, Josh Allen. They, they really did. They, they heated him up, made him start looking around. I said he had the zoomies like a dog, like a golden retriever, like, cause he kind of <laughs> did. He like, he wouldn't like check it down. It was, it was just like his eyes were going everywhere. So the first game they played or week three, that was the most Josh Allen has ever targeted his running backs, uh, this whole entire season, the second most in his entire career. He's ever target, targeted running backs because he kept checking it down. All right, you're going to play the soft coverage. I'll check it down. Eight-yard gain. This year or this week, he only targeted his running backs on 5% of his pass attempts. And that's the sixth lowest amount of his entire career uh, targeting running backs. And it was just like there's no reason not to. He just kept launching these balls over and over. And again, that's fine to sprinkle in there. But be efficient. You don't need to just be hunting these big plays. It just kind of felt like he was hunting. He just hunted the whole day. He he was wanting that big play over and over. He was trying to stop the bleeding. But sometimes we talk about it, you have to be a quarterback. Yeah. And today, kind of, he went away from that. He's been better, but he really went away. The strip sack. He has to know he's hot. That is a classic five man protection. They showed it. You know that you're hot off the one off the edge. That's in five man rules. And he doesn't even look that direction. He looks to the field and then tries to come back. No, you can't do that. And that's what that's Josh Allen. He's Professor Chaos, but he has to be a better quarterback as opposed to just being a good athlete. The fourth and one decision, I think, is going to take up a lot of oxygen. Dari did today and the delay of game that they took. Oh, I man. understand people are hammering Mike McDaniel about it. It's totally fair. This is one of those moments as a rookie head coach, the third string quarterback, when you're also the yes. play caller, that it can get on top of you. It's, and yes. it's not surprising necessarily to see this happen i think we've seen this happen with other young play calling head coaches in the first or second time they get on this sort of stage and i think that it's fair to criticize him about that it's an unacceptable thing to happen in a playoff game but this is something that hopefully you learn from and you figure out all right and what the, the story that they said they told which makes total sense you could see it on his face they thought they got the first down so he had signaled in a first and 10 play Realized they didn't have the first down. They were out of timeouts because they had to take so many of them early in the game to not get delays of game. So they had to get a different personnel group out there to run the fourth and one play, and they took a delay of game. That's a communication thing. That's a process thing. 
and that needs to get better. But I think that can get better. This is the yeah. first time this coaching staff has been in this sort of moment, again, with a third-string quarterback on the road in a playoff game. It's important, in my opinion, to step back and have some perspective about yes. what Mike McDaniel and his staff did this year before yes. we tear down the Mike McDaniel experience in year one. Yeah, I've enjoyed the Mike McDaniel experience in year one. He created really the most like explosive, efficient offense in football with a quarterback that everyone was writing off after his first two years. The- that said, yeah, he's not even workable. Uh, he's an RPO merchant, and he was like, okay, you took that and ran with it and made it, made it not only just work, made it explosive. Um, no, I, I think that's exactly right. It's You would hope that this rather – he probably hoped this that kind of mistake happened in week two, you yes. know, on a one o'clock CBS game. You know, maybe, you know, some team, maybe against the Texans, no one's really watching as opposed to a wild card game against the Bills where you make those mistakes. But that goes to show you. And again, this is where uh, mini rant time, but this is where sometimes people don't understand the communication that happens between play caller and getting it to the quarterback, but also to your assistant coaches and getting personnel out there. It all, like you said, it gets on top of you. You have 40 seconds. You really have about 12 seconds to get the right personnel group and the right play call in, they go wristbands. Now, say when I say wristband, they just go wristband seven because those Shanahan kind of offensive play calls can get a little wordy. Okay, so play seven. What if we have an adjustment on it? What if we came off and said, hey, instead of play seven, we want to put um, him on a corner route instead of a post route on that. Okay, well, that changes the term. Okay, do you got to remember that? Next time we call play seven, you got to remember that. All those things add up in a backup quarterback, not knowing the down distance, uh, and that's just – it happens. That happens. So you see good teams sometimes, especially in the red zone, when they look and they can't get the right sub in because some players going nuts, they're excited, and all of a sudden they have to burn a timeout. Look at the Packers. That's happened to them plenty of times. And they have a back-to-back MVP winner and a pretty good play caller in the floor. It's just really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to do. It's a lot on your plate, and it was in a big moment, and that's just what happens. You got to remember, you just got to step back sometimes. It's a really hard process and really hard to manage and do very well. That's why there's only a few that do do it very well. Most of the year, he has done it very well, but it's just it just came up in a big moment. I also think that this is a reminder of how much of an outlier Brian Dable is in his first year as a head coach, the amount of game management successes that they've had with the Giants, and it is another example of why giving away those play calling duties and being a manager of the game can be advantageous. But it's yes. always going to be a push and pull. Always. Yep. You you are going to make a sacrifice in one area if you don't do that. Mike McDaniel has been a wonderful offensive play caller this year, an offensive designer. And the yep. value that they've gotten from that, I think, far outweighs the drawbacks Absolutely. in some of the game management areas. So it's just something that you work on. Coaches get better. Coaches can improve. Yeah. Coaches can look the at their processes reps. and say, oh, what can we do differently about this? And yes. I think that is what this should be for Mike McDaniel, not some death knell about Mike McDaniel's head coaching career, which it kind of felt right. like a little bit on Twitter today. I, I, I missed that because I'm kind of stunned that anyone would think that after I what's think been happening. People were just like year. really, really ripping him apart. And it's just like, yeah. okay, like that was a bad mistake. I don't. It's been a yeah. really good season for Mike McDaniel. They're, they're hanging in the game. Yes, uh, with the third string, they were fourteen point underdogs. <laughs> I, I, like they're 100% in the agree. game. No, I, I, I know. Just, it, I think that's a lot. It's just hard. It's hard. It, it's hard. One mistake happens. Personnel, and that's the thing. They thought it was first and ten. They might have been an eleven. They might have a juicy. It's ball game. So you want to call your best short yardage play. Might be a totally different personnel grouping. Headset turns off at fifteen seconds. What if it's at fourteen when you realize that now you're hand signaling, trying to get the hey two play you know. 
there's so much that happens in this short time span. That's why there's so many times where people are like, why does he not know that he has to go for it on fourth down there? It's like, yeah, probably the guy that was in charge of it took too long to tell him, hey, go for it. And they couldn't get the play call in. They said, screw you, we're punting. That happens because it's just time's going. It, it, it doesn't stop, especially when you don't have a timeout, literally. Um, but no, I thought I thought what he did this year, he surprised me in the best way possible. I thought it was an innovative offense. I thought that offense adjusted in the last month when – Teams started taking away some of their weapons, which is always a good sign. I thought players played hard for them. Um, it was a weird team. It, it worked, though. Uh, I mean, but it really did. So, yeah, just a tough moment for them. I also think the last thing to mention about this game specifically, they had a multiple backup offensive linemen in the game. Robert Hunt right. had to play right tackle. He hadn't played right tackle. I mean, he played a little bit last week. But before last week, the first th- last time he had played right tackle, more than like a f- handful of snaps, was in 2020 during his rookie season. So you have a right tackle that hasn't played in two years. You have a left guard that I think you signed off the practice squad. Teron Armstead was in and out of the game today. So that means you also you have, right. you have a new right guard because Hunt had bumped out to right tackle. So they had a bunch of false starts today. They struggled yeah. in pass protection today. I mean, it was beyond just missing out on Teddy Bridgewater and Tua for that offense to even be sort of functional. So for them to be in this game was kind of a miracle. Now, (laughs) the question becomes, I think, what happens for them in the offseason? The biggest one, which we cannot answer now, is what ends up happening with Tua and his health and what sort of contingencies they think they have to build in because of that. I don't want to make light of that, but I think it has to be a real question that they ask themselves. Other than that, other than his role and his availability moving forward. What do you think is the biggest question about the Dolphins as they hit the spring? Man, it's revamping. I think they need some more help on their defense and they need less stopgap stuff. They don't have a ton, you know, Tyreek trade kind of, and then they also forfeited a pick, you know, so they, that kind of hurts a little bit as well. And they traded a first um, round pick for Bradley Chubb. Yes. 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 And that's and they the gave Bradley Chubb a massive contract. Monster deal. Yeah, they need more out of him. Um I think he's been defense, banged up, which I think is it's yeah. understandable, but like Bradley that Chubb's was fine. the card that they played. And so they right. need that card to come through for them in the long run. But I mean you got an amazing skill guys, so I, I think it's almost like a outside of Tua, it's you gotta re, you need more help on the offensive line. You gotta inject some juice somehow, especially in the interior. Um I, I think again, that's what Mike McDaniel and Tua, you know mitigated a lot of this year was the, those old line woes, either by design or how fast Tua was getting the ball. And I just think the defense needs help in being a little more stout. Um, I, I think in some way, shape, or form, not only just with Wilkins, who's played so well, but they just need something. They need a calling card other than bringing blitzes every single time. They need to be able to live somehow, some way of just sitting back with four deep, you know, in some way, shape, or form. So whether it's revamp, helping out the linebackers rather than it's just random guys there, or just getting some juice somewhere with pass rush. They had some guys step up this year, but just they need some juice on O-line and a little bit on defense as well. They They're have juice be- at receiver. We know that. <laughs> Their secondary was so banged up this season. Yeah. You know, they they didn't have uh, – obviously, Byron Jones didn't play at all this year. Nick Needham was hurt. Uh, so what ends up happening at those spots when those guys are healthy? You know, Do they bring yeah. Byron Jones back next year on a big price tag? Do they revamp what that position looks like? Do they – rely on a guy like Cater Kohu moving forward. I don't know what those questions are going to be. Keon Crossing played a bunch for them this year. So what mm-hmm. that group looks like when everyone gets healthy, I think, becomes a question. Brandon Jones got hurt for them at safety. So just the secondary overall when they get some of those guys back healthy. And then Austin Jackson, same kind of deal. You know, He went on IR this year. He's been banged up. So what does, that, what does the offensive line look like when they're all healthy? I think those are the biggest questions outside of the quarterback. And 
we'll see what they do because they do not have a ton of resources. They really tried to push all their chips in this year to make sure that they got the most out of their quarterback, and they did that. But right. when you fall short, now what happens next? Right. Now it's, okay, we helped out our quarterback. Now we got to help out the rest of our team. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. Uh, but no, this this team played tough today. I mean, they really did. They made it tough on the Bills, uh, other than the, the early swamping, and they competed in a lot of games that maybe they should have been able to compete in. And yeah, they did some nice things. But like you said, it's that back end. That I, I, they need... I think that for me, I think the best term I could use is they need some more playmakers on defense. And I know health will help that, but they need something. I know they have some nice guys, but don't get me wrong, but they just need a little more there. Um, yeah, outside of just with the quarterback situation. We get Bengals bills again next weekend. Right. So very excited to watch that. Um, yes. What are the other matchups? Do we know? It? I mean, we, we obviously Chiefs, know. Jags. Chiefs, Jags, and then yep. the Giants will go play the Eagles. Again. Right. Yeah. So we get Giants, Eagles again, Bills, Bengals again, Chiefs, Jags, and then the winner of again. tomorrow's game will go play the Cowboys. Or the winner of tomorrow's game will go play the Niners. So Niners. That is, uh, it sounds just fine what? to me. It does. I know. I'm excited. I'm juiced up. Only, I know that, that one design run you brought up with Josh Allen, that was the only one they did all the game. I, I still think they're waiting to break that glass. Yeah. I bet you that that whole day today. You know, they were hovering. Ken Dorsey was hovering over it going like, do I, do, do, I, do I need to do this? Do I need to do I need to unleash number 17, the ostrich? And he held back. He held back. But I, I really do think, like, Josh Allen had some nice moments today. He had some of the wow throws. But it's he's got to be a better quarterback next week. Uh, yeah. I, it, like, he just has to. This team li- – I mean, like most teams. But he, this team lives and dies by how he plays. And it was just – it was too chaotic. Uh, even for him. And I, I just that he has to. He has it in him. He's fantastic. He's an unbelievable player. It's just that he just had one of his kind of weird days today. That It felt like younger Josh Allen today. All right. That's all we got. Yeah. Guys, yeah. if you have not, please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching this. If you are listening to this, you can click on the link in the description of this show. We are going to have a podcast reaction tomorrow with Bob Sturm, who does some great Cowboy stuff for us at the Athletic. We're gonna chat with him after Bucks Cowboys. That's the game that's happening. That's why that's why we're having Bob on. So <laughs> that will be available in the podcast feed when you wake up early on Tuesday. We're also gonna be doing the Monday Hangover with Mike Sando tomorrow. Just kind of picking up some odds and ends from the news over the last few mm-hmm. three or four days. A lot has happened since even Mike and Randy recorded the football GM. We've had a lot of coaching news. Derek Carr is on the block. We have a lot of things that we're going to dig into tomorrow with Mike. So excited to do that. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic, please do that. Theathletic.com slash football show is where you can. And if you would, you guys have done a great job of this. I sincerely appreciate it. Go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts about why you like the show, why you've enjoyed it over the last few years. I think we were going to hit that 2000 number that I was trying to before the Super Bowl because of how great you guys have been about it. But there's no reason not to run up the score. So please go do that and let us know if you like the show. It would mean a lot to me if you did. I have been reading them, and they truly do mean a lot. I don't read the mean ones. That's a lie. I read the mean ones more than I read the nice ones. But please go do that if you haven't. Again, it would be much appreciated on our end. We really appreciate the time. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. This was The Athletic Football Show.